Welcome to the Hemp Empowerment Project. We're your hosts, Anthony and Nicole Lucido. Our goal is to share the amazing opportunities within the hemp industry and how it can benefit your life. With over 30 years in the hemp industry, Lawrence Serban is prepared to share his insights into the status of the hemp industry in the U.S. and how to position yourself in the future of the hemp industry. Lawrence, you started Hemp Traders almost 30 years ago. What was the inspiration that led you to focus your life's work in hemp? Well, uh, my inspiration was actually hemp itself and trying to do something to help the environment, help the planet. When I had first read about hemp, uh, I was uh, amazed by some of the abilities and ideas to make paper, textiles, uh, tree products, and I felt it would be a really good uh, business to get into, the one earn a living, and two, do something that would be good for the planet through hemp. Yeah, that definitely sounds like a noble cause. So when you say you first were reading about hemp, where, did, where were you getting your information from? Well, there were two sources. Uh, this goes back to around 1989, 1990. And one was, uh, I was a biology student. And around the last years of uh, my college days, uh, we were supposed to do an oral report on anything we wanted. And that year, they had discovered the receptors of the brain for THC. So I thought that would be a fairly good topic to talk about because I figured my fellow students would be interested in that. And as I was researching that uh, through the library, a number of uh, bits of information came up on hemp, you know, saying, oh, hemp, you know, was rope, it was used to make twine or sailcloth. And at the time, I thought it was somewhat interesting. Uh, also, at that same time, uh, I began to read, uh, I was reading uh, excerpts of The Emperor Wears No Clothes in High Times Magazine. And then, uh, as I graduated college, I began to think more about the hemp, and I went out and I bought the whole Emperor Wears No Clothes, and I kind of made the decision that was it. I'm going to enter the hemp industry. I'll be a pioneer in this. Although, you know, I was a bit ahead of my time. <laughs> there was no hemp back then. Yeah, yeah, you definitely were. And now, may I ask, how was that report received when you gave it at the college? I'm sorry, will you repeat that one more time? So did you end up giving a report on THC or hemp for your college report? Well, yes, I did I did give an oral report on uh, the receptors in the brain for THC since I had discovered that year. You know, that was that was successful and I did well. But, you know, that really, I didn't follow through in terms of medicine or biology. I wanted to get more in business and environment. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Definitely a noble cause. Mm-hmm. Yes, right, right. So, Lawrence, what, what do you see as the current status of hemp in the United States today? Okay, that's a good question and a huge one, you know, <laughs> because when we say hemp, you know, we're talking about a lot of different things, you know, any, anywhere from, uh, you know, recreational marijuana, possibly, you know, all the way to the industry. Uh, but this talk, I'll stick with the industrial hemp aspect and stay away from marijuana, but industrial hemp does contain the whole CBD industry. So, mm-hmm. you know, you have people growing for flour for CBD, you have people growing for grain, and then you have people growing for fiber. So I'll start with the CBD industry. That was the one, uh, even though we were early on, uh, I had textiles going back to the mid-90s. 
that always made a bit of a niche market where when CBD began to uh, you know come onto the market around the early 2010s, around around 2011 and 2012, I actually had people coming to me asking for CBD at that point, you know, wondering if I could go to China and get it. Uh, since that time, that market has greatly expanded because there's a lot of people want CBD for, for health reasons. So it's grown quite a bit, but the problem that uh, they run into is that the market's become oversaturated. Uh, you don't need to grow all that much uh, hemp for CBD in terms of acreage to be able to supply everyone with CBD in the whole United States. And there was a lot of hype around CBD, and there was a lot of overproduction. You know, the, the industry was growing and growing around the mid-2010s, you know, 15, 16, 17, uh, were really huge growth years. But then as it became more legalized, more people got into it, uh, more farmers grew, and there was a huge oversupply, and the market kind of crashed starting around uh, end of 2019 and going into 2020. Uh, prices for raw flour uh, dropped quite a bit. You know, it went way down. I won't quote numbers, but it's always changing. And then, of course, there was a, 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 what I would call an overabundance of people entering the market producing things like gummy bears, uh, doing extraction, food products, uh pharmaceuticals, nutraceuticals, things like that. So many people got into the market that, you know, the competition just went out the roof and it's made it very difficult for people to make money because at this point there's so much overproduction that people have to sell almost at below where they want it to be. So, you know, if you say, you know, if somebody said, hey, would you get into the CB industry today? I'd tell them, hell no. You know, it's, it's oversaturated. It's you know, not the right thing to get into. There's way too much competition. It will sort itself out. You know, it will um, become a time when probably will be a handful of companies that will be able to uh, dominate in terms of sales and marketing. You know, where they create a brand name and they can become big, maybe possibly similar to other uh, nutraceutical companies or tobacco industry. Uh, but that's kind of where the whole thing is right now. Now, next thing we'll talk about grain. The grain market uh, started off in Canada in the late 1990s because Canada legalized hemp earlier than everyone else. And it's grown mostly out of Canada, mostly for food for human consumption. So when I say grain, I mean the hemp seed, which there if you crush it, you can get the oil and protein, or you can just remove the shell and you have a hemp heart. Uh, that has been, you know, a fairly stable market. It's grown. You can find hemp seed food products in practically any supermarket. Uh, and, and, but in a way for human food, food consumption, the market's a little bit saturated in that you already see it everywhere. And there's a few companies already selling it, but we're very close to allowing hemp grain for animal consumption. So it will be uh, for consumption in animals that we will eat, you know, for uh, hens, uh, chickens, pigs, cows, things like that. Uh, there's a lot of regulatory hurdles to get over in order to introduce this as a new feedstock 
to those uh, animals, but we're almost there. I mean, they've already been doing it, and not only that, but also pet foods like dogs and cats they can add it to us. So uh, that uh, regulatory hurdle will be overcome probably in the next year or so. And once that does, I expect the hemp grain industry to expand by 10 to 100-fold wow. at that time. Yeah, so that's you know, there's big. a lot more that to go and yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you would not believe how much <laughs> you know, food is grown for animals than what than what we consume. Uh, yeah. after that. a lot of corn goes into that, but the hemp grain works really well. So that's you know right there, ready to go. Uh, the last one I'll, I'll get into is the fiber uh, industry. That's the the most difficult one to get into because uh, there's a number of hurdles you have to get over. Uh, you know, with, with CBD, I can grow a, a plant in my backyard, grow it, bring it into my house, you know, with, you know, with the tools in the kitchen, pull out the CBD out of it and have enough hemp, uh, CBD oil for, you know, the whole year. You know, it's just what you grow in your backyard. But when you start working with fiber, small plots aren't going to work. Uh, you need to have the economy of scale involved to make it cheap because you need large amounts of uh, land to be able to produce large amounts of fiber, which then have to go to a facility that can decorticate large amounts mm -hmm. of, of right. hemp fiber and produce it. Now, it is the most difficult to get to because it's the most infrastructure and the most land to grow the hemp, but it will be the largest of all the hemp industries that are out there. In that there will be ultimately there will be more land or hemp grown for fiber than there will be for grain, and then there will be more hemp grown for grain than there will be for CBD flour. So fiber will be the biggest, has the most opportunity coming up, but you know the pieces of the puzzle are still coming into place. Not a lot of people grew hemp in America for fiber. I'd say only about two percent. One and a half to two percent in the U.S. is ever grown for fiber. All the rest is probably CBD. Oh. So, you know, pieces of the puzzle are coming together, including things that I do uh, to try to make that happen. But you know, it's a lot more, you know, growing it, you have to get growing. You need the right harvesting equipment. You have to be able to read it right. You need, you know, the decorticating facility to be able to decord it in. And then, of course, you need the markets for it. You need companies that want to buy the fiber. And uh, we've been in a catch-22 position in that some of the large companies that want the fiber, they don't want to get into it until they know there's a huge supply. Mm -hmm. And then you have the farmers that would grow it. They don't want to grow it until they know they're going to have a huge demand. So you oh, kind of have to work both, both of those together. Yeah, absolutely. It. But it's there. It, it's, it's going to happen. So, Lawrence, what kind of products can you get from the hemp fiber? Oh, quite a bit. Okay. <laughs> Let's just look at fiber in general. You, you get two types of fiber. You get the basset fiber, which is the bark fiber from the plant. And, of course, people know for textiles, you know, twine, yarn, rope, webbing, basically anything where you would take that fiber and you would spin it into a yarn. And then every product that you could make from that yarn, which is, you know, textiles, twine, on rope webbing, things like that. But then there's a whole bunch of what I want to call non-woven applications for the fiber, more industrial, that vast fiber. 
for example, uh, insulation, uh, mats, and, and you can use to make um, composites. Uh, it can go into ceiling tiles. Kind of as a raw material for a lot of different things, car panels, stuff like that. And it's even beyond my imagination of everything that it can go into. Uh, just you know, we use fibers, and hemp is most likely going to be able to replace certain synthetic fibers for certain applications. And each fiber, uh, no matter what it is, whether it's glass, cotton, rami, uh, polyester, they're all going to have different characteristics that make it useful for different applications. And hemp is the same. It has certain characteristics that make it very useful for certain applications. And you're going to discover it's better for certain things than what's currently on the market. It might even be cheaper than some things, or it might be better in terms of it's biodegradable. You know, where price is the same, quality is the same, because it's natural and biodegradable, that's something that's very desirable. Yeah. So the market for that is huge. That's just a basic fiber. And then we have the core fiber for the herd. Of course, we use that a lot in building materials, for example, the hempcrete. Uh, it's used to make the hemp board that I've made in the past. Uh, I've seen it make uh, medium density fiber board. And I'm even seeing the stock to make high density floor board uh, from a company called Hemp and Wood. So there's a lot of different industrial uses that are going to be uh, made with it. And also, the herd is the key to making hemp plastic. So you, know, you get that ground up, you can add it to a plastic. And then you will have a hemp plastic or hemp or plastic mixed with hemp would be more biodegradable and it may have some unique properties as well. Now let's go back to that hemp board. You know, you said that you had created mm-hmm. that hemp board. Tell us the story behind that. Oh man, that's a long story. <laughs> <laughs> Something uh, from the very early days of hemp, I had heard that you could make particle board from it. You know, I think even in The Emperor Wears No Clothes, he possibly mentions it. And I had seen a sample of it back in the 90s that had been made at, I think, the University of Oregon. So I knew it was possible. So around 2005, uh, when I was in China, I met with some people there uh, who had a little factory and convinced them to make me particle born from hemp, in which they did. And I brought it over. And it was, you know, everyone was very interested in it. But then the first question I got was how much for, you know, is there any formaldehyde? And I actually didn't know because I hadn't made it. So I took it to a lab. We had it analyzed. And there was so much formaldehyde in it that it actually went off the lab results. Oh, I mean, wow. it was off the instruments charts. <laughs> how much there was in it. That's crazy. So, yeah. So I found out right away that no one wants formaldehyde if they're in their board. Uh, so I went back to China, went to the original factory, asked them if they could make the board using a different binder that didn't have formaldehyde, and they just refused. They were just like, no, we're not going to change what we do. No, forget it. So then I had to look around China. I found another factory that could make it for me, and they had what was kind of an environmental binder. It was still made with formaldehyde, but the majority of the binder you know, turned into the glue and you had very little formaldehyde that was uh, off-gassing from it. And it was below a certain level that was uh, required by the European Union. 
So it was basically considered safe and even considered environmental. So I made a batch of orders with that and I brought them here. Yet, you know, nobody wanted or people did not want them because even a little formaldehyde people didn't want. <laughs> so, you know, they, they were interested in that. Even when I could say that it, 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 it met all the standards, they were still not interested. So I did a lot of research. I found a binder in South Africa that was made from eucalyptus bark. And that sent over to China. I found another factory. <laughs> we made the boards, got them made, brought them back to the U.S., uh, sold them. And they were really great. They're non formaldehyde boards. And I went to go back and do a full production. And uh, the factory uh, went out of business. Oh, no. I was using. <laughs> so... Then I went, found um, another factory in China, gave them the board, they made me a batch of it, uh, and then that factory went on the business. Oh, my goodness. Uh, and by the way, it had nothing to do with what I was doing with them. It, uh, you know, my little bit of the hemp board was you know, a, a very tiny little thing in their whole production. They went out of business because... It was a time in China when there was a lot of consolidation where smaller companies could not compete with the larger ones. And I tended to work with smaller ones who were willing to work with me on the board. So what was happening is I worked with them, they get it going, and they just couldn't compete with their larger rivals, so they ended up going out of business. So after a long time, I kind of decided I'd give it up in China and I'd rest, uh, put it to rest. Uh, then in 2008, uh, 1718, whenever, uh, we legalized hemp in the U.S., and I found a factory in Idaho that was willing to make the boards for me. Nice. So we had the boards made. This was, uh, uh, last year or in the year before we had a bunch of boards made, got it up and running. Uh, the boards came out perfect, you know, formaldehyde made it in the United States. And we were ready. It worked out and, and, and we sampled a bunch of people. We were ready to do another uh, a full production run around the spring of 2020 because then COVID hit and the factory kind of went into what I would call lockdown mode. Mm-hmm. And they just didn't want to do it. You know, they were worried about their own survival yeah. at that point. And they just, you know, they did not want to work, do anything for me, <laughs> even though they had agreed earlier that it was no problem. But with COVID, they're just like, look, we're, we're not doing anything new. We're just going to continue to do what we want. So that whole thing had to get put on hold, even though we're ready to go. I have to wait until COVID is over and uh, they'd be uh, willing to do it or find another factory who would make it for me. Wow. Well, it sure sounds so like... Quite a, quite a long story. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but it sounds like your persistence is paying off and now it's just a little bit of patience waiting. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You know, and I'm also working uh, this year, I'll grow my own hemp in California uh, for fiber. Nice. And I think that, I think I can do it better than anyone else because I, I really know what, what we need to do to create the fiber. You know, how to grow, you know, the, getting the right variety, how to grow it, how to harvest it, how to red it, and how to do the fornication to make it a good enough quality that it could be sold for textile. Uh, range fiber and that would be the highest value of that fiber yeah absolutely now you said that you 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 feel like you've you really know how to do that did you learn a lot through your chinese um with your chinese partners uh, as far as growing reading and well processing? what i've done yeah 
I mean, it's not like I went to China not to spend the season there growing, but I've been to China uh, more than 22 or 23 times over the last 20 years. I've been there quite a bit. Usually I would go around August, which is when they would be doing the harvesting of the hemp. So, you know, I've been there, I've seen how they grow it, you know, I've seen the density, I have pictures. I kind of, I can tell what to look for in the plant in order to grow it or buy it or lose it. Here's the thing, the buyers of that fiber is in China, it's not going to be in the U.S. So I have to create the fiber that's going to match what they're used to. Now, now are you, is your goal, do you have some type of plans to grow this fiber and start to use all of your own fiber in your business transactions instead of using China, or is you still going to use yeah, China? Yeah, I okay. have, yes. I, well, I've had to do this kind of incrementally, mm-hmm. you know, and then be able to do what is possible. So, uh, you know, when I was talking hemp trade, there was no hemp in the U.S., so mm-hmm. everything had to be important. Uh, textiles mostly from China, but I also imported from Eastern Europe as well. Uh, so I've always brought it in, and now, uh, more recently, I ended up importing hemp yarn into the U.S., and I actually knitted up my own fabrics here in Los Angeles, and I took it to a facility and they knitted it for me. Now, technically, that is fabric that's made in the U.S., because uh, I made it from important yarn, although the hemp wasn't grown here. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the future, what we might be able to do is you know, grow the fiber here, ship it off to China, have them make textiles, bring it back here, or just have them make yarn and then bring it back here and uh, knit it into fabrics. And that would be more American-made. And uh, for, for people who feel that, that it's not economical, to ship from the U.S. to China, and it actually is, and it's actually cheaper, more environmental, and more economical for me to ship something by boat from L.A. to China than it is for me to ship it from L.A. to San Francisco. That just that's mind-boggling. What is it that yeah. that, that makes it so mm-hmm. much more economical to ship on the to ship it across the waters than oh, yeah. across the ground? Right. Well, think about this and. and uh, imagine uh, to ship it, uh, to say it's just like a container, you know, from LA to uh, San Francisco, you have to put it on a truck. Mm-hmm. And the truck can carry just one container, you know, it has to be narrow, it's limited to the, uh, the width of the roads that they're on. Same thing with trains as well, and the same thing with airplanes, you know, they're, they're narrow, is how they look. When you have a boat, you know, you can go as high as you want and also as wide as you want. If you've ever seen those containers, they fit yeah. a lot of yeah. stuff on it. Plus, once you get going in the water, you get kind of an inertia. So you don't have to put so much effort and power into keep it going, you know, energy-wise. Right. So it's a lot cheaper. Now, my partner is right across the ocean. I mean, they're right there in the port city. <laughs> so it's not hard for me to ship it to him have him take it, do whatever, then ship it back. And that's actually cheaper than me trying to ship it from California to, say, North Carolina. Right. You know, to try to get some uh, spinning done in there. Uh, and there's not a lot of spinning left in the U.S. anyway. Yeah. yeah. So, well, that's definitely important. Can you share with me a little bit, too, about uh, why it's so important to have fair trade between your company and who you're working with uh, overseas? Okay, we, uh, good point. You talk about 
fair trade, and I, I've gotten into this quite a bit. Uh, you know, so what does fair trade really, really mean? And hold on, I have a little uh, definition of it. <laughs> and, I wrote, and, and I'll say that fair trade, and what is fair trade? A fair trade is one in which both parties agree they are benefiting, benefiting from the trade. They both feel it is fair. And the trade can be between a buyer and a seller, as well as between an employer or an employee. In both instances, a product or service is exchanged for just compensation. The buyer pays a seller for a product or service, and the employee, employer pays the employee for their time of service. And I want to point out that you cannot have fair trade unless you have free trade. Mm-hmm. And I, I really want to point that out because a lot of people don't get that. <laughs> that in order to have fair trade, you have to have free trade. Okay? And a free trade is one in which both parties have the right to set the terms of the trade. You know, both parties have the ability to engage or withdraw from a trade without interference from each other or other people. Uh, no force is threatened or implied during the negotiation of the trade. Once again, this free trade can be between a buyer and a seller, as well as between an employer or an employee. In both instances, the people involved decide for themselves whether or not they wish to engage in the trade and under what terms. With free and fair trade, profit does not come at the expense of an employer or an employee or a buyer and seller. Uh, both parties uh, profit resulting in a win-win situation. <laughs> that's, that's a lot, but I, this is something that's been well thought out. Because it's a common question. I can't. You know, do you engage in a fair trade? That's so, a great. That's know, a great explanation. Really <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So I really thought it out and wrote it all down. So that's <laughs> why I had that little speech. You probably had that. You, you've had that question come up a lot, so you had to kind of get all the mm-hmm. nuts and bolts together for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I had to put it together. So I have that. And so you know, in terms of my business, so I deal with you know a private individual in China. You know, we're he's not involved with the government. We're both private people having private companies. And I've been there. I see how he works, how they treat, you know, how they treat their employees, what they do, and it's basically very similar to our working situations here. You know, they have an office, they work, you know, about forty hours a week, uh, and you know, it's a regular office setting, no different than us here. And then at the factory, uh, not bad. You know, they have the factory. They're you know making the fabrics there. They're sometimes they're making clothes, uh, cutting and sewing. Uh, Things like that, and you know, they're actually even a little more modern than ours here because a lot of their equipment and facilities are a little newer. Hmm. Nice. Can you can you share with yeah. us now, what? Go go ahead. What, you were going to say something. No, else? So the one thing, yeah, the one thing that's different is in China they have a lower standard of living, so. You know, the average salary for people there is going to be lower than the average salary of people in America. Mm-hmm. But then also, you know, living thing, you know, living uh, rent prices are lower. A lot of other things are lower there as well. So it, it, it somewhat evens out, although in the U.S. still we have a much higher standard of living than the average Chinese person. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah they've got a little different culture than we do here in the United States. Mm-hmm. You know, a little bit. You know, I my first year going there was '99, 
And, you know, in around 99 to about 2008, you know, around the 10, 11-year period, you know, the country just completely, you know, we're practically almost all third world to all first world. You know, when I went there, almost no, you know, 99, almost nobody had a private car. <laughs> you know, oh, that, wow. By 2008, everyone had a car. Wow. You know, there were no freeways or, or, or fast roads in 99. You know, where we have to take highways, you know, regular roads and highways to get anywhere out there. There's freeways everywhere and tall buildings and skyscrapers. And so it's been a total transformation in the last uh, couple of decades. Wow. That's amazing. Can you, can you share with oh, us? Oh, yeah, in fact. Yeah. Go, go ahead. Mm-hmm. I want to hear more no, of what you're saying. saying. On my, yeah, on my very first trip to China in 1999, uh, my partner over there, my friend, took me to an area of China where they were growing hemp. And this was, you know, wasn't in the city. We were out in the countryside, even up, up on the mountain. And there were people that actually came out of their homes to see me because they'd never actually seen a white person before. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah, they actually came over and they touched me, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kind of yeah. amazed. <laughs> yeah. Although that was, that was the only time that ever happened by, you know, I think by, uh, 2000, you know, they've seen a lot more uh, Western people were coming to China, so it wasn't such an unusual thing to see a Westerner over there. <laughs> so, Lawrence, share with us what uh, what your company, Hemp Traders, does. All right. Well, we can uh, import uh, and wholesale of hemp fiber products, mostly textiles, which is where I began. So we have the largest selection of hemp textiles in the whole country. Uh, we have inventory and stock, no minimum order. Uh, we've also expanded into other hemp fiber products, twine, yarn, rope, webbing. Uh, I've also sold hemp board. I've, I've sold a little bit of hemp paper. We also sell hemp essential oil. Mm. And we keep, uh, we have a warehouse in Los Angeles. We usually import everything to LA, or if we can get it from the US, we'll, we'll you know, bring it to you uh, here from wherever we get it from. And then we uh, can ship it out from our warehouse here. And so, once again, I, I've been mostly involved in the fiber aspects, which is, uh, is kind of been in the shadow all these years. Yeah, it sure has. Now, I want to I wanna go back a little bit more to that, you know, th- the opportunities that are available within the hemp industry. And the fiber definitely sounds to be pretty expensive to get into. But yet you talked about the grain market and that animal feed market. What's something that you know, somebody could kind of look forward to in the future if they wanted to create a animal feed or feed their own animals on their land? Yeah, well, uh, if it's your own animals and you're just feeding them for your own consumption, then you're perfectly free to you know, hemp seeds. There's nothing illegal about that or, or uh, no restrictions on that. But if you are a commercial supplier of meat uh, or have a commercial supply of cows or herding cows, then you can only feed them what's been approved by the government. Uh, approved feed. Now, I would argue that hemp is a natural thing and it shouldn't have to go through the whole process, but that, that's a different story. Uh, but they're getting there. You know, uh, uh, each animal needs to be approved. So 
it's like not only hemp seed, it's not like they can approve it for all animals. So it has to be approved for a dog. Then somebody has to pay to get it approved for a cat. Mm-hmm. And another person has to pay to get it approved for chickens. And, you know, another person has to pay. And, and each one is its own uh, requirement. So there's a lot of all. But having said all of that, we are very close to being able to use the hemp for the, the, the first three that I think are going to appear probably going to be dog or two will be dog and chicken. Or I think the first that they're working on. And once that happens, then certainly farmers could grow, you know, hemp for, for food. Uh, anyone who's raising an animal could buy it and start feeding it. And from the what people have told me, you know, this is all you know, verbal uh what people just say, but everyone tells me that the animals thrive when they're giving hemp, hemp seeds. Mm-hmm. They do better. They, you know, they grow faster, they're more productive, taste better, whatever. But I don't know if anyone's done a real experiment on that to really prove it. Yeah, well, it definitely sounds like something exciting, not only for anybody that has a dog or is raising chickens or beef, but for the farmers mm-hmm. to be having another market to sell their goods. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is something as simple as you could have all the companies that make uh, pet food, you know, Dolphin, Alpo, you know, all those other ones that are out there. If they just decided to add a tiny little bit of hemp seed to their formula, mm-hmm. you know, already that's going to be you know, probably hundreds of tons of seed mm-hmm. right there, even if it's only like one or two percent of the formula. Right. Well, and you really don't need that much. We used to feed our ducks hemp seed and their eggs were so much better and they went crazy for it. It was like giving catnip to Ah, a cat and the ducks just went bananas for it. So, yeah, you know, but you don't need a lot. Mice and rats, they love it. Yeah, they seem to really like it. (laughs) The mice and rats love it. (laughs) Oh, they do. Yeah, we even here we had to... uh, take extra precautions to seal up the hemp seed we have here because uh, mice would get it and they try to try to eat it. Jeez, those pesky little rodents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Lawrence, what kind of um, suggestions would you have for somebody that's looking to get into the hemp industry? All right, that's another great question. Okay, first of all, if you want to get into it and you don't know where to begin, I would say first go inward and, and decide what you'd like to do because there are so many different areas you could get into hemp that you have a lot of choices. You know, if you like medicine and helping people uh, with medical needs, you may want to get into the CBD industry. You know, if you're really into food and nutrition, you might want to get into the grain and, and food industry. If you're more into fibers, technical clothing. And all of that, you can do the, the fiber industry. But even within each industry, there's a lot of different levels. You know, some people may be better being just a salesperson. You know, mm-hmm. Other people you know, may want to be the entrepreneur. Other people might be great in accounting. You know, there's a lot of uh, people that get into the hemp industry that don't have the other abilities of business, whether it's accounting or management, uh, stuff like that, payroll, where... There's all these auxiliary things that people could do, you know, building web pages, uh, whether it's mm-hmm. being a lawyer, knowing the regulations, you know, that, that's a good thing. You know, there's so many state and federal regulations on the CPD aspect that you need lawyers uh, to help you with it. 
yeah. you know, maybe you're, you're an engineer, you know, maybe you're going to be the one that figures out the decorticating method, you know, that's cheaper and faster than anything else that's out there uh, to do it. You know, maybe you're the person that's going to figure out a way to, you know, take hemp seed oil and do chemical engineering on it and be able to turn down oil into some other sort of product, you know, another molecule. You know, there, there, there's quite a bit out there that people can do. My advice is do what you like to do and then see how we can apply it to hemp. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, you know what? That's exciting, though, that this industry's in that position to be able to, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, pull in so many different people, different types of people, and different opportunities. Whether you know you are in sales or you want to be an entrepreneur in marketing, and you know, like you said, the list goes mm-hmm. on and on. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Exactly. So, you know, the opportunities are there, you know, step into it. And then I would give warnings to people. Uh, there's a lot of fly-by-night companies that jump into it uh, mm-hmm. that don't know what they're doing. There's people, you know, that you know think they can make a lot of money quick. So if you're going to get into it, you're going to be hired uh, for a job. Is it definitely uh, research the company that's hiring you, you know, mm-hmm. find out how long they've been in business. You know, whether they have uh, a record, you know, they, they show that they have employees that they've been paid. You may even want to talk to some of the employees if there's been any issues. You know, if you're a farmer growing and somebody approaches you and they want to, you know, they're like, oh, we want to buy the hemp that you're going to grow. You know, you better get a contract or even possibly money up front, you know, mm-hmm. from that. Because, you know, you've, I'm sure you've all of you have heard of horror stories, you know, where people lost everything as a result. So yes. you just want to have, to say, uh, have your ducks lined up when yep. you get into it, and don't you know? Don't go out on a limp for anyone at this point. You know, anyone who's going to be good to work with is not going to ask you to go out on a limp. Yep. Oh, That's I totally agree. And you know, I'm really glad that you brought those points up. Um, I would like to add too, if it sounds mm-hmm. if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you know, and, and a lot of people can say, "Oh, we can get it. We can get it." And you know, usually I have to you know, sit down back a minute and say, "Okay, well, okay, let's do one order. You know, can we get one order from you?" And sometimes people can't even do that one order. Wow, it's really disappointing. It is, but <laughs> I don't know. I, I I've gotten used to it, and. It just makes it, when you find the right people, it just makes it better. You know, when you know you can rely on somebody for something. Yeah, absolutely, because there's a lot of really good people out here in this industry. Lord, mm-hmm. oh, Lawrence, yeah. I would like to ask you one final question. Sure. What is your vision for hemp in the future? Okay, very good. By the way, you guys are asking really cool questions. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, I'm like, all right. All right, so... A vision for hemp is, one, that hemp is treated like any other crop. You know, that if you're a farmer, there are no regulations or restrictions or registrations that you would need to grow uh, industrial hemp. You know, you don't even need to test it, prove it, or anything. You're just going to grow it. Now, if somebody claims they're growing industrial hemp and the police come out and they test it and they find out it's Marijuana, and when I say marijuana, I mean like well above you know one percent, not not the point three. 
mm-hmm. but you know where there, there's a, a, a infinite limit to distinguish the two, and that is you don't punish somebody for growing industrial hemp. You punish somebody for committing a crime. So you try not have to have mm-hmm. people that just want to grow it for industrial reasons have to jump through a bunch of hoops to prove they're not committing a crime just to do it. So I would like to have one hemp normalized. Anyone that wants to grow for any purpose, even CBD, you know, pretty much on the farm level, that's it. You grow it, no problem. Now, with CBD, once you begin to get products that people can eat or drink or ingest, there's already regulations in place to handle that for other nutraceuticals. But for the fiber and stuff, you don't need anything. So I see where uh, it's not regulated. It's a normal crop. You can grow it anywhere in the United States when you need it. And then I also see that the facilities are in place where everything that's grown can be bought by the processors, processed, and then the raw material entering into, into uh, the market. Uh, with hemp, uh, it may take a back seat in terms of visibility. You, know, you may, your clothes may have a little bit of hemp fiber in it. Uh, your car may have a little bit of hemp fiber. Your carpet may have hemp fiber. Your wall may have hemp fiber. Uh, your, um, you know, other vehicles or airplanes or things like that all may have bits of hemp fiber, but it wouldn't necessarily be something that you're advertising. It's just the fact that this works better than anything else. You know, and it's just part of it. And, you know, that we're growing millions, you know, hopefully millions of acres of hemp in the future within 10 years. Wow. Yep. Well, that sounds really awesome. Lawrence, could you share with, mm-hmm. our, can you share with our listener where somebody can go? find you, find your products? Okay, well, my products, we have our webpage, which is hemptraders.com, and that has everything there. Uh, even though we are wholesalers, we have no minimum order, so people can get as little as they need. And then we also have an office in a showroom in the LA area. People are free to come by and look at our showroom and see our products and I can show them around as well. That's awesome. Well, that's great. Well, I have to give a big shout out to Lawrence for spending time with us this morning, taking 30 years, condensing into this short period of time. We talked about some really great things. We appreciate our listener tuning into the Hemp Empowerment Project, where our goal is to share the amazing opportunities within the hemp industry and how it can help change your life. Please check out Lawrence Serban's webpage the hemp traders will have the link down below and please subscribe to this podcast so you're always in the know